What's up, everybody? We'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of the First and Foremost Podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Douglas. And I'm the one and only Jimmy Covington. How y'all doing, man? Man took my tagline. (laughs) (laughs) Man, how you doing, bro? (laughs) I'm doing good, bro. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, man. Pretty good. Well, we got some some good topics lined up for y'all today, so we're not going to waste any more of your time. We're going to get right to it. Uh, So starting off, uh, you know, Dak has been in contract negotiations with the Cowboys for, I think, about 16 months now. Uh, His most recent offer from them was for five years, $175 million. Jimmy, what are your thoughts, and should the Cowboys move on? First, let me start by saying I don't know who Dak Prescott thinks he is, uh, but he's not elite. <laughs> and I'm a Cowboys fan. Uh, the man is average to slightly above average. So, you know, first, that, I need to get that out the way first off. But secondly, let me hit you with a few numbers here. So against teams uh, with 10-plus wins, which I would classify as a good team, uh, he's 5-13, and 13, uh, has 22 touchdowns to 19 interceptions and has a QBR 55.3, just 19th, which is below average. Against teams with nine or fewer wins, he's 35 and 11 with 75 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, and a 72.9 QBR. So that goes to tell you, in 18 games against a good team, he can't win against good teams. He stacks the numbers against terrible teams. You think about when Zeke was out a couple years ago with the suspension, we were terrible. We look like a, a, a very mediocre average team. And, you know, I know last year he put up some some de- some great numbers, you know, around 4,900 yards, uh, over 30 touchdowns, you know, 11 interceptions. But those were mostly empty stats. And I think I think that last year might have got into his head. I don't know who his agent is, but, you know, it needs to come to his senses. Uh, five years, 175 million, that's around 35 million per season. But he also he wants that last year to be upwards of forty five million dollars a year, and I understand you know that that'll be in line with the market, and it might not even be seem as much. You know, the salary might be as high considering you know the cap has continued to go up. But that's that's completely ridiculous for an average to above to a slightly above average quarterback. I know Willie McGinnis on NFL Network made a great point today. Today's players get paid you know because they're next in line, and that's what the market dictates instead of getting paid for for their value. And I think this is the perfect example with Dak Prescott. Man, going back to your original point, I'll tell you who he thinks he is. He thinks he's Russell Wilson. Like, I think it's crazy that he thinks he's worth this much money. And, I mean, he hasn't done anything significant in his time in the NFL. I mean, this is what, his fourth season? And the guy only has one playoff win to show for it. And I think we've seen that Dak Prescott, uh, although I will say he's a he's a good quarterback, he's not what you classify as a franchise quarterback. You know, like you mentioned with the suspension of uh, Zeke, uh, and I'll add in like you know the the deterioration of the O line. Uh, when those things haven't been in place for Dak, you know he has a tendency to crumble under the bright lights. Uh, And I know you mentioned as well, you know, his record against winning teams. You know, he consistently shows in big games that he's not that franchise quarterback that will elevate a team's play. Not to mention, he has the privilege of playing in a division 
with two bottom feeder franchises in the New York Giants and the Washington Redskins. So that also, uh, you know, kind of boosts his record a little bit. And, you know, it's not going to get any easier from here. I looked ahead to that 2020 schedule, and they have a road trip to Seattle, which I'm talking is an L. They play the Pittsburgh Steelers at home with Ben Roethlisberger back in the fall. They have a road trip to Minnesota, a road trip to Baltimore, and then a home game against the San Francisco 49ers. And, you know, going off his history and, you know, what he's shown us in big games, you know, I don't see that changing in the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, going back to the 10-win stat again, looking at 2019, he was 0-5 against 10-win teams. Uh, and, you know, that's really highlighted considering the fact that the Cowboys only lost their division by one game to the to the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, literally, all he had to do was win one of those games, and, you know, it could have been a different outcome. Uh, and, you know, looking at it from a business perspective, uh, you know, there's the, the thing going where quarterbacks who take up 15 or more percent of their team's salary, uh, their teams, you know, typically don't succeed and win championships. I think I looked at it, the only quarterback that took up that t- much of their team's salary and even made it to a Super Bowl was Matt Ryan in 2016. And, you know, they lost to the Patriots. Uh, so just going off his history of what he's shown and, you know, looking at it f- from a financial perspective, not to mention if COVID doesn't clear up anytime soon, uh, we could see a significant decrease in the salary cap. Uh, so taking all that into account, if they can't find common ground, I think we could see Andy Dalton starting week one for the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> And you made some interesting points, and uh, I want to go to the point where you made about the 15% thing with the cap. And, you know, you're right. Matt Ryan was the only one to lead the team to the Super Bowl. But of those nine guys, uh, six of those nine have have been to a Super Bowl, and five of those nine guys has won a Super Bowl. So, you know, I understand if you're commanding that type of money, you you need to at least have been to an AFC championship game or NFC championship game or at least have been to a Super Bowl. He hasn't even gotten out of the division around and you're trying to command that type of money. I understand he outperformed his con- his draft uh, position. He he's arguably the best quarterback in that class, you know. And if you're gonna make an argument, the only argument would be Carson Wentz that's better than him statistically. So, you know, and like you said, COVID nineteen could drastically affect the cap. And considering the Cowboys cap situation, they only have around five million dollars of cap space left this year. And they've already allocated eighty percent of their cap for next year. So if COVID nineteen drastically reduces the cap, you know, the Cowboys could be in some serious trouble going forward next year. And I was looking at the structure of the contract. If he wanted to get paid uh, $45 million over there last year, so the first year he would, his salary would have to be around $25 million. And the next three years would have to be around thirty five in order for that last year to be over forty five. And, you know, and at that time I think Dak Prescott would be around 30, 31 when he, when he would hit the market again. And I, and I think that would set him up nicely considering, you know, Taking into account how the next five years goes, but if for the Cowboys, that's a that's a terrible deal, you know. And I think it's around one hundred and six, hundred and seven million dollars guaranteed. But it kind of puts them in a weird spot because you know, do you want to, you know, after this season, do you want to, you know, let Dak Prescott walk and get nothing from nothing out of him uh, if contract negotiations can be resolved, or do you try to trade him at some point, you know, and let you know Andy Dalton run the ship? And, you know, Andy Dalton contributed to 
the failure of the Cincinnati Bengals this year. So, I mean, if he's the starter, you know, hopefully we can work some magic and, you know, tank for Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> Y'all ain't going to be that bad. <laughs> I don't know, man. Andy man I think you have to – I'll go ahead. Andy Dalton was pretty bad last year. So, you know, if he is the starter and Dak Prescott's not going to play, well, I'm going to hope he keeps that same energy. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't want to be in purgatory drafting about 15 or 16 where all the elite quarterback <laughs> prospects are gone. No. Nah. If we're going if we're not gonna have Dak Prescott, then we need to be terrible. Well, to Andy Dalton's credit, I will say the Bengals roster was pretty bad last year and they, you know, battled some injuries. But I think you also have to blame the Cowboys a bit for putting themselves in this situation too. Cause just looking at what they've done financially, uh Amari Cooper, in my opinion, is not a top ten receiver in the league. But you know, they just I think he's, what, like the third highest, if not the highest paid receiver in the league now. Uh, that, look at all the money they've dished out to the O-line. Look at that big contract they gave to Zeke. Uh, look at the big contract they gave to Demarcus Lawrence. So I think from Dak's perspective, you know, once again, looking at how they pay all these other guys, and, you know, they're giving them like top five, top three type money at their positions. And those guys, you can make the argument that they're overpaid. So he's like, hey, why can't I get my bag too? <laughs> and I agree with all the points you made. And I think one of the things, you know, I want to mention is, you know, it it, it kind of makes sense to, you know, pay guys a little early. Because if you think about what the San Francisco 49ers did when they paid Jimmy G that contract, uh, now it looks, you know, it looks like a, a regular quarterback contract, and Jimmy G was able to get his team to the Super Bowl. And he was able to be a good team, so now their contract seems more than justified. So, you know, I'm all for paying players too early because, you know, when you pay them early, you don't have to pay them as much, especially if they over overperform. And then there you go, you having to pay them, you know, top of the line versus you know a little bit under top of the line. So, you know. Right, right. Much rather pay early than pay too late. I agree with that one. Uh, but moving on, man, to our next topic. Uh, you know, LeBron was on this uninterrupted show, and you know he revealed that in during the 2011 NBA season during the lockout, you know he was strongly considering uh joining the NFL and even had a contract offer from the Cowboys. So, Jimmy, do you think he would have been a successful? in the NFL as he is in basketball? I think he would have been successful, not as successful as he is in the NBA. But if you look at LeBron, I mean, he's 6'8", 6'9", around 250 pounds, and uh, with a reported 4'6", 40-yard dash, a 44-inch vertical, and he has a 7-foot and a quarter-inch wingspan. So I think he'd definitely be a tight end. If you look at his high school stats, uh, his sophomore and junior years, he had over 100 catches, for over 2,000 yards and 23 touchdowns. So, you know, I definitely think he would be successful, you know, in the NFL. You know, LeBron is one of the – probably the strongest guy in the NBA, maybe one of the top four or five guys, strong, strongest guys in the NBA. And you see that on a daily – on a, you know, on a nightly basis in the NBA. And I think he would be – like with the vertical, you know, and the large hands, he'd be a great red zone weapon. And he's fast, of course. I think if he did have a weakness, I think the weakest weakness would be blocking. Uh, if you notice, a lot of guys with longer arms, they struggle in the block, you know, in the blocking department. 
So I think he might would struggle as a blocker, but as a pass catching tight end, I think he would have been a monster. But I don't think he would have been as successful, you know, with the, the the toll that you know those hits take on those guys' body, you know, day in and day out, you know, all those practices, you know, and you know the games, the wear and tear of the games and the playoffs. And so I think he would have a much shorter career than he would than he is in the NBA. But you know, I think he'd still be, you know, he'd be a multi-time multi-time Pro Bowler, definitely. Yeah, bro, I agree. I think he'd be a dominant, definitely be a dominant tight end in the NFL. Uh, I mean, there's already a history of guys who play basketball and, you know, went on to have Hall of Fame NFL careers. Uh, you know, look at Tony Gonzalez. Look at Antonio Gates' body of work. Uh, and even more recently, a guy like uh, Jimmy Graham. I think LeBron could easily uh, fit that mold as those, you know, athletic tight ends. Uh, that are, you know, present matchup problems for offenses. And then not to mention, you know, LeBron's extremely high IQ combined with his athleticism would just be, you know, unfair. Uh, you know, looking at the way uh, he analyzes defenses in basketball, I think that'll easily uh, translate to the NFL as far as, you know, reading defensive coverages, uh, finding holes in zones. Like, I think that combined with his athleticism uh, would probably make him a top five tight end in history. Uh, and like you mentioned, with his height, uh, the size of his hands, and, you know, uh, his 40-plus inch vertical, uh, red zone targets, we just throwing them every single time to LeBron. So, and then I think his experience as a receiver would help too, uh, you know, kind of bringing in that, that versatility of being able to line up uh, along the offensive line and also splitting out wide, uh, I think that'll make him a mismatch nightmare. Uh, you know, linebackers will be too slow, and safeties and corners will definitely be too small to guard a guy that's 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, uh, so I don't think there's a doubt in my mind that he would have been successful in the NFL. But I will say, if LeBron had put on the Cowboys jersey, that probably would have been the day I stopped being a LeBron fan. <laughs> <laughs> Out of all teams, the Cowboys, which I can barely live with the fact that he's a Cowboys fan, but he's not obnoxious like the rest of them. I was just about to mention he is a Cowboys fan, so, you know, I, I, that would have been nice to see. But, you know. That'll be one of the biggest what ifs ever, man. For sure. Oh, uh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. All right, man. So moving on to another NBA topic involving another star player. Uh reports came out last week that the Brooklyn Nets have shown interest in trading for Washington Wizards guard Bradley Bill. Uh so Jimmy, do you think the addition of Bradley Bill to the Nets will make them a title contender? Yes, uh, definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. You know, if he when he if he was able to join the team, I think he would be the, the second or third option. You know, having Brad Bill as a third option, having Brad Bill as a star is a plus, and having him as a third option is just a steal, or even a second option for that matter. Of course, you know, KD would be the first option, but you know, I think him and Kyrie in terms of second and third option could be interchangeable. And Brad Bill knows how to play without the ball. You see, you know, this year he's has had the ball a lot more because of the loss of John Wall. And you know, we've seen his production spike. He's averaging around thirty points, four rebounds, and six assists per game. 
uh, while still shooting 45% from the field, 35% from three, and 84% from the line. So Brad Beal is a bucket, and he's proved, improved a lot uh, on the defensive end, you know, from years past. So, you know, adding him would definitely make them a title contender. If When you look at the East, you know, most NBA, most NBA teams now typically have two stars, and Brooklyn will have three. When you take a look at the East, I think the only team that will kind of match up and turn star for star would be, you know, would be the Boston Celtics with Jason Tatum and, you know, Kimball Walker and Jalen Brown. If they will match up well, I don't know, you know, in Philly, you know, of course, Philly will match up well with Joel Embiid, you know, and Al Horford, Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, you know, Tobias Harris. So, you know, I think they will make the East, you know, a lot more tough in terms of the top tier teams. You have Milwaukee, of course. I can't forget about Milwaukee. So, you know, I think they would definitely make them a title contender. You know, I think they will make them the favorites in the Eastern Conference. But I think uh, it would be a lot to give up. Uh, it would have to be a package centered around, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert and probably Jared Allen and some picks. So, you know, I, I would be anxious to see, you know, what, what they would use, what Washington would command for Brad Bill, a player of his caliber. I think it's worth mentioning that Brad Bill, in October of 2019, Brad Bill did sign a two year extension. Upwards of seventy-two million dollars. So he's a he would be he signed a contract all the way through twenty twenty-two and twenty twenty-three. He has a player option. So you know that you know that goes to show you know with the cap you know and Kevin Durant getting big money and Kyrie Irving getting big money. You know how would they fill out the rest of the roster losing Dinwiddie and Levert and possibly like Jared Allen? Yeah, man, I really agree with you on this one too. Uh, like you said, they instantly be my favorites uh, to come out of the Eastern Conference. Now, I will say I don't think they win the championship. I don't think they have the depth after, you know, making that trade uh, to hang with teams like the Lakers or the Clippers that come out of the West. Uh, but, you know, along with you, I'm a big Bradley Beal fan. You know, this season he went off averaging 30, like you said, six assists, knocking down three three-pointers a game. Uh, I think he fit well with Kyrie and KD. You know, he's already shown an ability uh, to play without the ball in his hands, you know, having a ball-dominant guard like John Wall uh, as his sidekick, or I guess he was his sidekick, whichever way you want to flip it. Uh, but, you know, I think Kyrie honestly would be their number one option. You know, KD with his Achilles injury, you know, there's no telling at what percentage he'll be. Uh, when he comes back, and I think even if you if he's like 70, 80 percent, I think he want Kyrie to take on the biggest of the bulk of the, you know, offensive duties. Uh, and I think, honestly, uh, with Kyrie making the statement about them wanting another star, I think Bradley Beal would step in and be the second option. You know, I wish KD nothing but the best, but, man, an Achilles injury is tough to come back from. And I think at this point in his career, uh, with that team and those players by his side, KD would probably fill in as more of a spot-up shooter type role uh, and be more of a glue guy because, you know, ultimately he was the one who brought Kyrie and uh, DeAndre Jordan to town. Uh, but like I mentioned, it would deplete some of their depth to make this trade. You mentioned Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, uh, Joe Harris, who's a good shooter. Uh, Jared Allen, who's a young, promising defensive center. Uh, they have to give up some combination of those players, you know, along with maybe one or two first-round draft picks in order to get Bradley Beal. Uh, but actually, you know, looking at his contract, 
Bradley Bill, even with the extension, is only making $28 million a year. And to be honest, you know, looking at the way the cap's inflating, I think that's a bargain. You know, easily uh, trading like Dinwiddie, who I think is getting paid around like $11 million. And I think Levert's making like $16 million. You know, you match the cap right there. Or they could even throw in someone like Damari Carroll, who I don't know who paid him. But I think he's even still making like 10 plus million a year. Uh, so throwing in some guys like that to match that cap, uh, I think that'll be, you know, pretty reasonable. But like you said, it'll be all about how they fill out their the rest of their bench. Uh, that'll determine how good of a team they'll be. But like you said, I think they'll be the favorites. Uh, Boston with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Kimball would definitely probably be their biggest competition. I agree with all the points you made. You know, like I said, I think, like I said, filling out the roster will probably be the biggest issue. I think that's always a big issue when you have, you know, multiple stars, more than two or, two or more stars with big salaries. It's kind of hard to fill out the rest of the roster, you know, in terms of quality talent. And I think that would be the biggest issue. But I don't think they would, you know, I don't think they would win an NBA championship. I think they'd be, the, like I said, the top contender coming out of Eastern Conference because you still would have to contend with L.A., or the Clippers, or, you know, or whoever comes out of the Western Conference, who's always going to be tough. So, you know, like I said, I had them coming out of the East for sure. No doubt, no doubt. All right, man. So, you know, transitioning from the NBA, I guess, to a bit of a, you know, COVID-19 topic with the NBA. Uh, the NBA uh, has announced that practice facilities have begun reopening. And cities are being considered for finishing out the season. Um, according to Buck's co-owner, um, he said that the hosting sites will probably be Las Vegas for the Western Conference and Orlando for the Eastern Conference. So, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on this and how likely will the NBA finish out the season? I think with the way, you know, governors are are lifting restrictions, you know, people are starting to move on with their lives, you know, even though it's a big risk, I think, you know, I think the playoffs will happen this year. I, I was listening, I was, you know, doing some research and the NBA chief communications officer, Mike Bass, uh, essentially he said the NBA was, you know, in conversation with Disney, uh, the ESPN Worldwide Sports Complex in Florida, and uh, they were supposed to be used as a single site for as an NBA campus for games, practices, and even housing. Uh, the the ESPN campus is, you know, 255 acres. It's roughly 40 square miles and nearly 24,000 hotel rooms. So I think it would be big enough to house, you know, the NBA players. But I don't think you would want to have those guys all in one area, you know, considering how easy, easily COVID-19 transmits when it's a bunch of people in one area. Uh, but I think health is the biggest question, of course, going forward. You know, and I think I read a report, according to Zach Lowe, uh, they're expecting the league office will issue uh, general guidelines around June 1st that will allow teams to start recalling players uh, as the first step towards, you know, starting the season or uh, continue with the season. And I think, you know, I think the best the way to go about it would be to modify the regular season schedule, maybe cut down on the game so you can get to the playoffs sooner. I think as long as the season, as long as, you know, as the playoffs start, you know, by, you know, Late June, early July, I think you'll be able to get – you'll be okay. You know, finishing by early September will be ideal because you don't want to bleed into the NFL season considering, you know, the NFL rules all when it comes to TV ratings. 
And, you know, and I think pushing the next season, the start of next season back to maybe Christmas will probably be, you know, ideal too. I think that's a, that's something that should have been considered, you know, just for regular, other regular seasons anyway, just for the regular season anyway. And I, but I think one of the issues, you know, is the mass testing and how would this sit with the public? Because, you know, according to Woj, they would need approximately around 15,000 tests. And you have to cut the number of personnel that you bring in, of course. So, you know, how is the public going to react to mass testing, you know, for NBA players when it's people that actually need in this country, you know, it's a deficit in testing. And there's people who actually need these tests, you know, giving them to NBA players just because, you know what I'm saying, just to continue a season when, you know, lives are more important, you know, and things are they're more – the lives of the citizens are more important than sports, you know. So I think that would be one of the issues. And, uh, you know – I was reading, you know, looking at an article on ESPN. It said they could play like eight games per day and on like two or three courts, and they could finish the regular season in approximately 33 days and possibly the regular season in like 60 days. So I think that would be a solid plan, you know, having, you know, multiple teams play at one time, you know, on two different courts because, you know, like, there's not going to be any fans anyway. So it's going to be a little awkward. So, you know, I think it would be like, you know, have like an AAU feel or, you know, like, a, you know, like those private runs they have in the summer. It'll be like that type of feel. You know, honestly, for me, you know, I, the fans aren't really one of the things that makes me want to watch the sport anyway. You know, I love the sport in its purest form. So any form of basketball, you know, I can get – I'm cool with it, whether it be, you know, practice or scrimmages or something like that or just, you know, the summer workouts they have in L.A. and New York. So, you know, whatever they decide to do, I'm cool with it. But I think we will have an NBA playoffs. Yeah, bro, I think – I say at this point it's a 90% chance that the season finishes out. Uh, like you said, the league is planning to have something in place to implement uh, by June 1st for players to be able to return. Uh, but I think GMs voted in a poll this week uh, on the remaining format of the season. You know, there were play-in games, uh, you know, about the regular season, scrimmages, things of that nature. Uh, I think at this point, if, if they were to return, like, I think it should only be, like, not all 30 teams, but, like, maybe top 20 teams, you know, something like that. I think that they should run some scrimmages to, you know, get the players back in game shape. I think right after that, they should have a play-in tournament uh, for the teams that are, you know, 7 through 10 in each conference. Uh, and I think from there, I think, honestly, this is a perfect time uh, for the league to experiment with the possible 16 seed playoffs. You know, it's been in talks before about eliminating, you know, the Eastern and Western Conference, uh, you know, given, you know, the lack of competition, you know, at the bottom of the Eastern Conference and things like that. Uh, so I think a time like this would be a great time to, you know, see all those teams have all your stronger teams at the top. You know, you easily weed out the weaker teams. Uh, and I think that'll make for a pretty entertaining uh, playoff format. And, you know, of course, boost the ratings, which with the NBA losing hundreds of million dollars right now, you know, I really think that ratings boost is something that they probably prioritize. Mm -hmm. uh, I think my biggest, you know, question mark at this point is, you know, if one or a handful of players were to contract uh, COVID-19, you know, while in this quote-unquote bubble, you know, what do they do from that point on? Like, all it takes is probably that one person, and, you know, the season's just gone like that again. 
Uh, so I think, you know, all that's being taken into consideration uh, with these plans that they're making. Uh, and like you said, you know, the public taking issue uh, with these guys, you know, having access to those, uh, you know, tests. But, you know, I think ultimately that's just a part of the business, you know. Uh, once again, like the NBA is these guys' jobs. So, I mean, ultimately it's their jobs, you know, providing these health benefits for them. Uh, so I don't think the, the public can really be mad at that. It's not like it's a government uh, issue, you know, initiative. So I think for sure it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, but right now I think I'm in favor of a 16C playoffs, one through 16. You know, like you, you brought up the, the mention about the testing thing, the mass testing. And, you know, with that, you know, it's if it's one thing that, you know, the – that COVID-19 has shown us is that, you know, money is the big thing. And I think, you know, the NBA is more than capable of paying some company or, or whoever to produce, you know, a large amount of tests necessary for the season to continue. But, I, you know, I do have questions of, like, what would they do? Like you said, if one of the guys got, you know, contracted COVID-19, how would they go about that? And I'm pretty sure, you know, with, you know, the amount of time we've been dealing with this, and, you know, you know, expose, talking to, you know, health experts, I'm pretty sure they will immediately put be put in self-isolation. And I think guys would immediately be tested and, you know, and they go from there. But, you know, I don't think they would stop the season again, you know, just abruptly like they did before. Because I think at this point, I think people are pretty much saying if you catch it, you're going to catch it at this point, which, I, you know, I don't, I don't kind of agree with that. I feel like we should still be taking the proper precautions and staying home instead of going out, you know, but, you know, it remains to be seen. I definitely want to see some NBA basketball. I'm pretty sure you do too. I'm pretty sure all sports fans want to see some NBA no basketball. Doubt, so I'm all for it. No doubt. No doubt. I agree with you 100%, man. All right. So moving on to our last topic of this episode, the SEC announced that football players can return to campus for voluntary workouts on June the 8th. Jimmy, what are your thoughts? I figured it was only a matter of time. Like I said, you know, a lot of states have been you know, lifting restrictions. If people have been going on about their lives, especially in the South, you know, I've seen, you know, I've seen Atlanta, how people have acted in Atlanta. You know, I've seen people in Memphis, you know, the state of Tennessee, you know, Texas, people, have, you know, with Texas and the people, have, I've seen those people out. So all over the country, people are starting to continue on with their lives. I guess they're not really concerned anymore. But, you know, a number one concern, of course, is, you know, safety of the players. And, you know, I, I know I, I went to the SEC website and it said it's supposed to start like a three-stage process, screening process. So, you know, first off, uh, before students arrived on campus, they would test them within 72 hours of arriving on campus. And then they would be screened on a daily basis, of course. And then they would test uh, symptomatic team members, including players, coaches, and other staff. And, you know, players that contracted or was or thought were thought to have COVID nineteen would, would be immediately self isolated, and that would include you know coaches and personnel as well. So I think as long as you're constantly screening players, you know doing testing when needed and following the proper precautions in terms of practicing, you know, and those type things, I think they'll be okay. But I figured it was just a matter of time. You know, I didn't think football was going to be on hold 
for COVID nineteen at all. You know, the only you know only sports season I thought was was completely in jeopardy was the NBA season. I didn't ever think you know college college football was going to ever you know be in jeopardy or the NFL season for that matter. I think you know games are going to be played. You know, as you know, unless a second wave hits us within you know the next few months, I think games will be played as normal. I think we'll have a full season. Yeah, bro. You know, uh, with colleges, you know, they had already started announcing that classes would be returning this fall. Uh, so I thought it was only a matter of time, you know, before the sports league started announcing, you know, the return of student athletes. Uh, so that was pretty much a no burner for me. Uh, but I think where you run into the risk with this is, you know, unlike pro athletes, uh, once classes start back in the fall, you know, college athletes will be right in the mix, you know, with other students, you know, professors and other university personnel on a daily basis. And, you know, they won't have the opportunity to be isolated in a bubble. Uh, and I think that's going to be, you know, a huge question mark, you know, as to how they handle that. And I think it's pretty careless of the NCAA to, you know, and the NFL, which I think they announced it too to already, um, you know, be talking about fans being in stadiums. Uh, I think that they're probably moving too fast in that aspect of it, uh, you know. But, you know, college football is all about the money. And, you know, money, you know, keeps these universities running. Uh, but I think they, they need to probably scale back on that a little bit, at least for now. Uh, but, you know, with or without fans, I think the NCAA season is definitely uh, moving on. Um, and I'm excited. You know, college football is probably my second favorite uh, sport to watch behind the NBA. Or I take that back. Behind the NBA and college basketball. Um, but, you know, like I said, I think this was pretty much a no-brainer from the start. Uh, like you mentioned, I think the irresponsible thing would be to have fans in the stand. In the stands, I think that would be completely irresponsible, and I think it would be reckless. And I don't advise that, you know, for any league, you know, for right now until we can get this thing under control. And you know, I think they'll put a lot of lives at stake. You know, even the players' lives at stake, and you definitely don't want that. You don't want anybody' life at stake. And like I said, stand fans in the stand would be, you know, would be basically stupid to be completely honest with you. You know, I don't like I said. You know, football is a lot different when it comes to a crowd. You know, but still, you know, at the end of the day, I just care about seeing the game. You know, I enjoy watching, you know, those joint practices, you know, the NFL does. I enjoy watching, you know, spring games and, you know, scrimmages. So, you know, seeing football without fans wouldn't be anything new for me. And like I said, I don't watch it for the, for the fans. That's not part of my enjoyment. My enjoyment is purely the game of football. No doubt. I, I enjoy every second of sports, too, you know, as long as it's not compromising the health of the athletes that are participating in it. Well, did you have anything else to add today, Jimmy? No, sir. No, sir. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up. Episode 12 of the First and Foremost podcast. We appreciate y'all for continuing to support us. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. We got uh, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, what am I missing? Twitter. Uh, and, you know, just keep pouring out the support. We appreciate it. Checking out, I am the one and only Quentin Douglas.
And I'm the great Jimmy Covington. Thank (laughs) y'all. Thank y'all. Until next time, we out.